Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. Zechariah chapter 3, give me about another 45 minutes to find it. Uh, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, different Joshua, okay? Don't think Moses' protege, it's a different guy, different time in history. But he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, which means accuser, slanderer, I mean, that's his name, but he's a real dude, right? He's a real uh, individual, a being, And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what he does is he accuses. He's called in Revelation the accuser of the brethren. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? What a great description of somebody who's been saved. How many of you were a burning stick snatched from fire? Amen. That's what I am. Now Joshua, dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel, the the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off those filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, filthy clothes representative of sin, and I will put rich garments on you, not just clean ones, but good ones. So then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Great picture of Satan accusing us, making us feel really, really lousy, and, uh, and just trying to disqualify us for relationship with God and with others. And, uh, but he sees that, uh, that this guy, Joshua, the high priest, needs some affirmation that he is indeed uh, thoroughly and completely uh, forgiven. I realize that I don't do a lot of talk about the devil and don't do a lot of spiritual warfare uh, teaching. I do a fair amount once in a while, but, um, you know, you can, I think you can give the ammunition to the devil by uh, either giving him too little credence or too much. And I I don't want to give him too much, so so that's why I don't do a lot of teaching on it. But, uh, you know, too much is kind of like the postman who was delivering mail and uh, just kept getting hassled by dogs. So he leaves his mail bags and starts, he goes around town squirting the dogs with a mace and he does not deliver in the mail anymore. And I think Christians are like that. They're not delivering the mail anymore and they're after demons all the time. So let's not do that, but let's do know about our enemy. Uh, I noticed too, the first couple of chapters in the Bible, uh, there's no devil. And the last couple of chapters, there's no devil. Uh, God gets rid of him. Uh, But in the meantime, there is a devil in between, and we have to definitely uh, deal with it. Now, Romans, as we're studying Romans, really has very little about the devil. Very little, almost, almost nothing about the devil. In fact, Romans, the value of Romans is spiritual warfare. In fact, I think it's probably the best spiritual warfare book in the Bible, even though it almost never mentions the devil. And the reason I think that is because I think you're halfway there in doing spiritual warfare if you'll know where you stand with God. If you know where you stand with God, then you're so much less susceptible to hell and its its, uh, strategies. Um, Now, I think some people skip the where they stand with God part 
and jump right into the, you know, how to cuss the devil in 27 languages. And, and I, I think we, we, do, uh, we do damage to ourselves when we do that. So my, my thing is, let's start where we stand. And, uh, and Romans is a perfect book for that, by the way. I'm saying that Satan is really allergic to grace. He hates grace. It's not his friend at all. And uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And how did he do that? How did he destroy the devil's work? Several ways, but one of the ways was he forgives sin. And he's just not fair with sin. He forgives it. And that's one of the ways that he uh, deals with the enemy. On the inside of your bulletin are some passages of Scripture if you want to just fill in some blanks. In Colossians chapter 2 is the first one. He forgave us all our sins. Let's say that. He forgave us all our sins. Now, if that wasn't enough, okay, so if that wasn't like clear, he forgave us all our sins. Uh, look at the other ways that he describes that same supernatural work. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood or opposed to us, he took, okay, so he forgave us. He canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and took it away. And nailing it to the cross. So this is kind of like an IOU. And in Paul's day, one of the ways, I'm not sure if he's thinking of this when he's writing this, but he might be. When you, uh, instead of just saying, uh, giving an IOU to the person, if you owe him money, you don't just give him a piece of paper. But they, they take that IOU and, and tear it in half, and each has a half of that. And you have to take your half home and put it on, the, on your door so that the people that pass by your door know that you owe so-and-so money. When you pay that back, you take both the, the sections of this IOU and in a public place, nail it in a public place so everybody knows your debt is paid, your IOU is paid. Maybe Paul's thinking about that when, he, when he's talking about this written code and then he takes it away and he, 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 he cancels it and he uh, nails it to the cross. So that the whole, you know, it's, he, he nails it to the cross in this public place that my sins, my IOU is paid. Now, that's all really super, super, super good news, right? That's very good news. That's in the good news that the devil won't tell you about that part. That's that second part. But what that does to the enemy, this is what the verse goes on to say, and having disarmed the powers and authority, power and authority is talking about the devil and his demons, okay? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the devil and his minions, he disarmed them. How did he disarm them? He paid our IOU. There's no condemnation. There's no, well, I don't, I don't owe anything anymore because it's been put in the public place that my IOU to God has been paid. I didn't pay it. I couldn't pay. It was way too big. I didn't have it nearly enough. But, but Jesus did, and he paid my price. It's in a public place. He nailed it to the cross. I love how he goes on to say, if that weren't you know, strong enough, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, that is, powers and authorities, by the cross. Now, that is such an ironic statement because the cross itself is a public spectacle. That it, it, it looked to us, it looks to man like the cross is, is um, this, a public spectacle of God, but really, in God's sovereign ability, turns this around to be a public a spectacle of the enemy of our souls. And what probably demons were clapping and cheering when this was happening. But then, of course, you know, then realizing that this was the worst thing that could have happened. And made a public spectacle. And so that's that other part of the good news. The enemy won't, 
tell you about is, well, he won't tell you any good news. He'll just tell you bad news. So he disarmed. And, and so the enemy has, he still has weapons, but he doesn't have any ammunition unless you give it to him. So we just don't want to be loading Satan's gun. Amen? And then another passage in Colossians is wonderful. Look at this. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, look at these two things, holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about is this flawless, uh, well, we, we, we define justification is God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous with his righteousness, that he is giving us his status. He, God is giving us Jesus' status, his A-plus report card. I was thinking about this. You ever buy a pair of jeans and you, you get in the pocket the, the inspected by thing, inspected by number whatever, and uh, I've never gotten one of those that said inspected by whatever and these jeans stink. I've never gotten it. It's, you know, inspected by, that means they, they, they pass the inspection. They, they're not, they don't just say inspected by, they're really lousy jeans, but I just wanted you to know that they've been inspected by me. But in, when we are inspected by God, we're inspected uh, in the, we're seen as flawless as Jesus, holy in his sight. Say it with me. Holy in his sight. That's how you are in his sight. That's a forensic, that's a, that's a legal status that you have with God. How many of you on a practical level have a little bit of work to do to be holy in, on a practical level? How many of you? Good. The rest of you? Uh, God bless you. But we're, we're, we just have a long way to go on a practical level, but legally before God. And that's what the enemy doesn't like us to know. He doesn't want you to have a grasp of grace because it really is a bad thing uh, for his side when that happens. Somebody said, when I'm forgiven, Jesus treats me as though my sin never happened, but Satan doesn't. And so what we have to do is that sprinkling of the conscience as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then you got Revelation 12. This is a great one that we've, uh, many of us have meditated on for years. The accuser of our brothers that's the devil, you know, Satan, this, this real being, the devil, who accuses them before God uh, day and night, has been hurled down, and they overcame him by the, let's say, the blood of the lamb. Word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives unto death. So those things are very important as well, and I would talk about them at another time, but the blood of the lamb. And this is how we, we overcome the accuser, is that we call to account the fact that the blood of Jesus has been shed for the sin that you're accusing me of right now. I've put it in under his, uh, under his blood. And uh, so the cross defeated the devil, but he acts as though it isn't unless you assert the victory and the triumph and the legal status that you have with God. If you don't assert that and you act as though uh, you're a loser and he's a winner, then it will, it, your, your life will reflect that value. But if you assert the, the power of the uh, substitutionary death of Jesus on your, on your behalf. I was thinking about this. Um, it's kind of, you know, there's temptation and accusation. The devil uses both of those. It, isn't it a trip that he tempts us and then accuses us after he tempts us? So he goes, why don't you give this a try? Everybody's doing it. So then when he fall prey to, he says, what kind of Christian are you anyway? Does that bug you? I mean, that's just not fair. But he's not fighting fair. And uh, that's, you can count on that. When we read Zechariah, 
Let me, can I give you a little history lesson real quick about that? So God told the Jews to be good. Were they? No. And he, so uh, they, he sent them prophets and told them to be good or else. Were they? No. And the else was that the Babylonians, the Iraqis, would come and take them away if they weren't good. Were they good? No. And did they take them away? Yes. How long? 70 years, they were taken away. We got, Dan we got the books of, of uh, well, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah. We got Daniel. We got Ezekiel, Jeremiah. We got all these books that really reflect that whole, or, uh, that talk about that whole history there. You should read those books. They're good. They're in the Bible. Um, 70 years. At the end of 70 years, they're away from their land. They're in Iraq for 70 years. Then God speaks to the uh, king of Persia now, because when they're in Iraq, it changes uh, hands. The country does several times, actually. And the Persian king's name is Cyrus. And he says, you know, you got to let me people go. And he says, okay, it's not like the Pharaoh thing where he fought him. So he says, okay, and 50,000 of them, you can add it up in Ezra, it tells you, 50,000 of them go back. And there's two guys that you don't really think much about uh, unless you read this particular part of history that are going to kind of lead them in this particular time frame. And it's a guy named Joshua, the guy we just read about, Zechariah. And the other guy's name is, you're going to want to all name your kids this, Zerubbabel. Okay, so Jeshua, Zerubbabel. Jeshua, I'll call him Jeshua so you don't get confused. Jeshua is the high priest Zerubbabel is like a more of a governor political uh, uh, figure. Now, they're le okay, 50,000 are going back to Jerusalem. That's the first order of business. After 70 years of being gone and they decimated Jerusalem, their capital, uh, and they're gone in, in uh, Iraq for 70 years and they come back, what's the first order of business? They've got to build the temple. Later, they're going to be build the wall under a guy named Nehemiah. And, uh, but now they got to build the temple. they got to have a place to worship. they got to honor God. He's the core of their culture, and they've got to put that in place. They've got to build a temple. So they start to build a temple because the temple had been decimated. But there's some bad guys who lived in the region in Judea there uh, didn't want them to do that because they didn't want them back there, and they didn't want them to rebuild their temple and have God as the core, and then they might get kicked out or whatever else. So they started discouraging the workers they started intimidating the workers. They started lying to the workers. And now we're talking about a spiritual picture here, pretty close now. Spiritual picture for you. You are, if you're a Christian, you've, 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 you've come to Christ, you're saved, and you're, you're building a place for God to be glorified in your life, and the, and the devil doesn't want that. He's going to oppose you in the in the process. He doesn't want you to build a place for God to dwell and for God to be glorified like a temple. Okay, so you're, you're doing the same kind of thing. You're getting the same kind of opposition. And they, they end up w winning temporarily. They, they wrote to Artaxerxes, the, the new king, said, they're doing this. And he said, well, they've got to stop it. So they stopped. So here they are, 70 years, come, to, come back, start to build a temple. They get opposed. Now they're stopped. Jeshua and Zerubbabel and all the people are going, Oh, man, this isn't good. I mean, we, we're not doing what God told us to do. It's like the enemy with many Christians who get thwarted in their, in their growth in, in God. And so God sends them two prophets. What were their names? Anybody know? Haggai and Zechariah. Thank you. Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene to preach to these workers that aren't working anymore. I think uh, Zechariah is trying to encourage 
He's encouraging Jeshua, who's feeling really bummed. He's feeling probably the, the, the weight of the sin of his, uh, of his people's past, what got him into that trouble to go to, the bad, to, to Iraq to begin with. Uh, he's probably feeling the weight of having failed the Lord. He's supposed to be leading these people, and then they got thwarted, so they're, just, they're not going anywhere. He's probably feeling the weight of the sin of the people who gave up. And I mean, he's just like all around bummed out. And God says, I just want you to know that you may see yourself in filthy rags, but I just want you to know that's not how God sees you. You are completely, <laughs> and, and Satan is in this vision. Satan's in the vision accusing him. See, look how dirty your clothes are. Look, what kind of leader are you? What kind of deal is this? What kind of people are, and he says, I just want you to know how I see you with all this clean clothes and a clean turban, you know, and, and uh, guarding the mind and all. That's just a wonderful picture of, of uh, how the enemy works and how God then sees us. And I think, that's, I think that's very important. The way that we fend off the enemy. In fact, let me just, let me, um, let me elaborate a little bit about this. He says, put a clean turban on his head. And I just think, somebody said, you know, Jesus was, placed, uh, was crucified at a place called Golgotha. What does Golgotha mean? Place of the skull. Somebody said it kind of tongue in cheek. That's where we need the cross most, mostly, is at the place of the skull. It's in the mind where the enemy messes with us. More than any other place, the enemy takes the you don't measure up tape and plays it. I'm going to say that again. The enemy doesn't have any of his own tapes. He doesn't make any of his own tapes. He just plays the tapes, and the tape is you don't measure up tape. He plays that over and over. Remember a couple weeks ago, I brought out my little, my little digital recorder, and I showed you how you know he just does it, and he plays it over and over. And... But, but the grace message is, see, grace will say, yeah, you don't measure up, but Jesus measured up for you and gave you his measurements. You see that? See, the world, the flesh, and the devil will say to you that you are less than and you don't measure up, but the, the grace message is that you're right, you don't measure up, but Jesus did all the measuring up and gave you his measurements. And I don't mean on a piece of paper. He gave them to you for your measurements. Now they're your measurements. And as God sees you, he sees you in Christ, measured like Jesus is measured. And this great passage in 2 Corinthians 10, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you see all those things? Imaginations, uh, knowledge of God, captivity, every thought. So what you get is you got these renegade thoughts, these thoughts that run away. And we've got to go get them and incarcerate them, uh, crucify them, and, uh, and bury them. Not incarcerate them and put them in some corner and then visit them all the time. I'm talking about resisting and withstanding. And a lot of times we don't do these basic things and then we go traipsing off to go rebuke the spirit of this and the spirit of that over Dallas. And I'm sure Dallas needs people to do, uh, to do that. But if you aren't resisting and you aren't withstanding, honey, you shouldn't be going to Dallas and talking about their demons. Oh, let's go. Let's go.